0: Kickbump acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Yulukut Woolen clan of the Boon Wurrung who are part of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders, past and present, and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Welcome to the Kickbump podcast, your fortnightly D&M on all things motherhood. One, two,
1: three,
2: guys. Welcome to Kickbump. Bump. Now you may be wondering, geez, Steph sounds a lot like Laura today and that's because it's Laura and Steph actually isn't here for this episode and I feel like I am a hacker and I've hacked into the Kick Bump podcast and taken it over, which actually is what I'm doing this week. But if you're like, Laura, what the heck are you doing here? Where is our kick bump queen, Steph? Don't worry. She will be back next episode. But this episode is something a little different. So last year, I spoke really openly about my feelings towards having kids. And today I wanted to bring you an update and share my plans for an exciting new series for the KickPod feed. So the last time I shared with you guys was in October last year where I spoke about my fears of not coping with kids and sitting and having kids. I'm 31 now. And I think for me, it's been the closer I've got to this age in my head that I thought I would have had kids by the scarier it gets. And then the more I don't know if I'm ready and I feel like super overwhelmed by it. And since then, since that episode came out, I have had so many conversations with friends about the exact same thing. And also I found from that episode last year and some of what we're going to share today, I was so inundated with messages from you guys around feeling the same way and feeling the pressure because it is something that I feel like we don't talk about enough. And obviously for, if I know a lot of a lot of people listening right now will have kids and that is amazing. Um but I think the decision to be able to have them it is it's just such a big decision and so many of my friends are just feeling like is <laughs> like how do we make that decision it is it's just it feels overwhelming and it gave me an idea of wanting to do a mini series exploring this. I couldn't find any, any, I just want to listen to a podcast where I can hear from all of these different people that have had kids that haven't had kids. But I wanted to ask you guys, who do you want to hear from? What are the things that you want to know if you are in the same position as me right now? And if you were in my position and you did have kids, how do you feel about it now? Or if you did want to have kids and then you haven't, how do you feel now? If you didn't want to have kids and you did, how do you feel now? If any of this resonates with you and you want to share your story with me in this mini series, please reach out via my personal Instagram or the Kickpot Instagram. For today's episode, what I wanted you to do before we get into the mini-series is bring you up to speed with where I'm at. So we're going to be playing some bits of past episodes where I've spoken about this. And please just keep in mind, this is a snapshot of what I thought in that moment in time between February and October last year. All of the details for the original episodes will be in the show notes of this episode. Here is what I shared last year.
0: You are here, Lawsie, because we are talking to Dr. Snail-Wadwani about all things fertility because you have just gone through a fertility test of your own. I have. And
2: I thought it was getting the results read out to me was so interesting. And Mm. there was so much that I just didn't know. I also had no idea that you even could get your fertility tested before, like through a blood test Mm. before. And I thought, As I was kind of going through with the doctor, I thought this is so interesting and we should talk about it. And then I originally said we should talk about it on Kickpod and then all of a sudden I'm on Kickbump. So we thought it was more appropriate for a kick bump podcast.
0: Yes. So we got Dr. Snayer on. She is the clinical director and head of GP for well-being and women's health at a clinic in Bondi in Sydney and is also a lecturer of the University of New South Wales of Medicine. She specializes in women's health and she's also a mum of two of herself. And I've got to say, she has got a beautiful, soothing voice. She does. I got lost a few times because I, I, I have an obsession with English people. You do. Anyway. Please enjoy today's potty.
2: As we get older, obviously with our biological mm. clock, does the quality of our eggs change? And then also for some people, do we already have, like, are some people born with poorer quality eggs than others?
1: Yeah, so there's, there's I guess there's two questions in that. I'll answer your first one first. So as we get older, obviously our number of eggs decline. Uh, but also our egg quality does decline. And it's really interesting. It's not so much affected until we exceed the age of 35. So our eggs are in pretty good quality up until that point. But after the age of 35, the quality does decline more rapidly. So it's more significant then if you've got a low AMH because actually you're playing with a low egg reserve or low ovarian reserve plus possible questionable quality of eggs as well so certainly when we talk about things like egg freezing if you've got a sort of lowish count and you're edging towards or or lowish you know amh and you're edging towards sort of 35 and you're thinking about egg freezing it's really the time to do it is before 35 so we really harness the quality component you asked about you know do some people just have crap eggs um well there's there's We don't have a lot of data in this space, but we certainly know that things like smoking, excessive alcohol, illicit drugs, poor lifestyle and diet, all of these things can affect the quality and indeed the number of eggs, right? So um, certainly there are some people who are going to be in that situation where they might have chronic health problems, maybe taking some medications that might affect, Mm. uh, you know, egg quality, uh, or ovarian function that that are going to have an impact in that space
2: oh it's so interesting mm. and and if because I think the thing with with my personal journey I think uh, currently right now my husband and I don't feel ready to have children it's funny because I always thought at I think it's because mum had me at 27 I was like oh you know by the time I'm 27 I feel like an adult and I'll feel like I, I want to have children but I, we, I was like no not ready at that age. Um, and a lot of the reason now is, and this is like my own personal choice, is because of work um, and prioritizing work. But I think my biggest worry is that if I prioritize work and then i wait too long and then i've then have a less chance or it takes a long time because of like i've heard so many stories of people that maybe waited until they were 34 because they put their career first and i think there's so much pressure on women in particular mm-hmm. with that mm-hmm. and also because you know we breastfeed and all we don't have to but all of these things um, and then they started trying it like 34 or whatever it may have been and it you know it took 5 years or maybe they weren't able to get pregnant so there's their, that's kind of where I'm at mentally um and after i did the the test it was helpful but i think the thing i'm thinking through now is is there anything is there another test that you know you ever recommend your patients to do or that people can get to check the quality of of the eggs and then I know I'm. I'm a two part question. I'm very sorry. I like to put all this into, into the one question. But then, within that as well, what I've heard, and I don't know if this is right, is that it's just a snapshot of that moment. It's not kind of a certainty. Whereas with male fertility, it's more certain if if they get a test.
1: Oh well, that's that's an interesting question. So the first thing you asked was about: is there a test for sort of egg quality? Mm. There are some assessments of egg quality, but they're largely done once you've taken the eggs out and looked at them under the microscope. So you're kind of already in that realm of of egg freezing mm-hmm. and, and salvaging eggs. Mm-hmm. So you've gone down that path already. In terms of, you know, testing men, testing women, you know... Um, when when you do a hormone profile, so I think you said that, you know, you'd had your AMH done, but you'd also had some other hormones done as well. Those hormones absolutely often, estrogen, progesterone, LH, FSH, these tests, we do to assess what's kind of going on in the cycle. And we're looking at the ratio of, of some of those hormones, their levels between each other, and we're also comparing that to reference ranges that we expect at a certain point in your cycle. So essentially, those hormone tests are really only very useful when they're timed at a specific point in your cycle because then we know what we're going to see. For example, if we ask you to do a day 21 progesterone, that's going to be around the time of ovulation or just after ovulation's happen. So we should see a really big peak in your progesterone levels, right? So we know what we're looking for at certain parts of your cycle for the rest of the hormone. So you're right, it is a snapshot. With men and their semen analysis, again, it is a snapshot. But generally, semen analysis, if if it doesn't look great, you might repeat it again. But it's rarely, I would say, a huge difference unless they've been doing something really silly like, I don't know, uh, you know, they've been a truck driver and they've been sitting in a cab that's got a heated engine underneath. You know, they've been doing that for weeks versus having, I don't know, a career change and and now they're sitting in an office. That might make a big difference um, because the quality of the sperm Mm. will be way better, right? Um, But generally speaking, you don't see that so much in in men. For them, it's as long as the sample is done accurately, which is a task in itself, I have to say, um, but um, as long as the sample's done correctly and analysed in a really prompt time frame, then it's a pretty accurate reading. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And I think, is there anything else, is there
0: any other tests or anything else that women can look into? Because I think it's one of those things, right, where... Again, I've got I've got some friends who are going through this at the moment, and they're you know not wanting to stress themselves out too much by going and doing every test under the sun. Um, they're not really sure when it when is the point that it is appropriate to go and do that. So, is there a point that you would say a lot of these tests become appropriate, or that you would recommend
1: them? Yeah, so I think um, that's a really in- interesting conversation, one that I have with the ladies I see in my clinic quite often. Once a a woman's starting to approach their 30s and and they're on contraception and they're not thinking about children in the very near future, I think the first step is actually assessing your contraceptive. Is this the right one to be on? We know that um, using the pill, the combined oral contraceptive pill, it does suppress ovulation and it can take a while for that to come back after you stop it. So... I see lots of ladies who go, yeah, I'm, I'm on the pill now, but I'm going to come off it next year. and I'm going to try in February and by, you know, sort of June, I'll be pregnant. And you're like, yeah, OK, that might not happen, you know. Yeah. So I think we've got to have really realistic time frames in that space. And using different contraceptives like the hormonal IUDs give you all the benefits, but without suppressing ovulation. So that's way more reversible. So I think it's got to start earlier than you think it does around that contraceptive you know, conversation. I think also you've got to bear in mind when you're family planning or when you're considering conception, you know, how many kids do you actually want? Um, Because I see the scenario quite often that you spoke about earlier, somebody who's, say, 34, and they're like, okay, I'm going to start trying now. And how many children do you want? Well, I might want two or three. Well, the average couple who have no problems at all that we know of, Um, will take at least six months to fall pregnant. 50% of women will fall pregnant after six months of trying. 90% will fall after a year of trying. So when you look at those stats, most people are going to take a year to conceive mm -hmm. and you then need to factor that in to your plans because if you want more than one kid and you're starting when you're 34, actually then you're going to start to tip into when your egg quality isn't so great. And the older you get on that journey, the harder it is to fall pregnant, Uh, you know, increased risk of miscarriages, that kind of thing. And that's where kind of egg freezing really offers that insurance policy, you know. Um, And so, you know, I encourage women to be really proactive, at least start having the conversation. Let's talk about the contraception. Let's help you plan. And if it's something like I'm not seriously going to start trying and I'm not that worried about it, I might just do an AMH. Mm, mm -hmm. If they, you know, they're starting to try or they're, you know, that sort of, you know, between 35 and 40 and they really don't have time to waste, then doing the full range of tests, including an ultrasound scan, that's timed at the right part of the cycle so we can actually see that ovulation is happening uh, because that's possible. Mm -hmm. Um, So looking at that as well uh, allows us to sort of, you know, we can make decisions because we've got, we're more educated, right? So if somebody is, let's say, 37 and they've been trying for four months and we know that they've got a slightly low AMH and actually when we did their scan, uh, there weren't that many dominant follicles, we're not going to wait for six months before we refer them to a fertility specialist mm. if that's what they want. We're going to refer sooner rather than later. As I
2: am thinking about this, I haven't said this out loud, but mm. as you were talking before... Mm. And not said this to you, mm. what you were saying about Harvey mm. and your non-work time mm. being out of, do you find your life is more in, not life, but your mm. routine is more in control of work or at home?
0: Mm. Right now, Harvey probably more so because mm. I have someone else that I can completely rely on as well, being Josh. Mm. So if for whatever reason I can't or I or I like need to do something for myself or whatever, I have the flexibility to do so. If I was doing it by myself, then it would be mm. a lot. So I can't answer that. <laughs> with,
2: with that in mind. Yeah. So knowing that you're or anyone with kids, mm. them out of work time is as uncontrollable mm. as their work time for me is fucking terrifying. <laughs> But there's ways around it. There is. There, ways. there is. But I think yeah. I think for me, because obviously, like we're now. I mean, we've spoken about this a lot. Mm. Like I'm I'm th- I'm turning 31 this year. I've had fertility testing. Like I'm okay for now. But it is something over the next. If we do, like I would love to have children, mm. and I would love to have. I, I mean, I don't know why I have two in my head, but that's like the. And I know mm. I might not even be able to have one, but mm. that's kind of what's in my head. But I think when you think about, and we've had a conversation on the mm. podcast with a fertility doctor. Mm. About if you want to have more than one child, you have to plan for that. So yeah. you're in terms of your biological clock, et cetera. Mm. And it's something that I think Dalton's definitely more ready than I am. But I am fucking petrified. Like mm. I actually feel like I can't, I couldn't mentally deal with it. Mm. And so I think I need to talk to someone about it because it's like, it's, it's, <laughs> well, it's actually, should,
0: it's, it's, I'm so scared yeah. of like what. How the fuck will I cope? Well, yeah, because a- as you just said before, that's how you cope mentally with the workload that you have mm. is by being regimented outside. Yes. Of
3: it. Laura, can yeah. I chime in? I yes. literally started the same. had the exact mm. same, exact same thing. And I'm a couple years older than you. I literally started seeing a psych for that exact reason to be like And what hey, did they say? I want to have kids, but I'm terrified. What do I do? Um it's just a it's just more learning to f- feel okay with the uncontrollables. Mm -hmm. So, like, just getting okay, being okay with that. Yeah, Yeah, finding coping mechanisms for being okay with things that get thrown off track. So, for you right now with work, same with me, Mm. finding coping mechanisms for that because then you'll have the tools for when you have kids because I feel the exact same. Like, what the hell am I going to do when I don't have that time, that me time and that, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, the thought is obviously terrifying but if you have those – coping mechanisms I guess yeah <laughs> and it's the a best huge, way to go about it's a it. huge
0: thing that everyone has to adjust to and like some you know find it easier than others but I think also the thing that having Harvey has done for me personally is like I like nothing else really matters mm. and so like even if something's thrown off I'll have a moment where I'm like fucking melting down like full meltdown but then there'll be something that reminds me of like the joy that that child has brought into my life and suddenly I'm okay with not being able to go out because he's I don't know something's wrong or not being able to do something not being able to go away or whatever it is because they just bring so much else so it's like it's this weird thing that you it's like you have become more resilient to shit
2: Isn't it's, it's so <clears throat> it's so crazy because I feel like the I think the hardest the thing that I'm struggling with the most yeah. is with work currently mm-hmm. there's a lot of pressure on us but that's fine like that's what it is mm-hmm. and there's also a lot i feel a lot of weight yeah. of for the team for you know because every that's the job like if you lead your organization mm-hmm. or your business you need to take on mm-hmm. everyone's stuff like mm-hmm. if it's their personal stuff or if it's their with work or whatever like mm-hmm. your your job is to provide the best environment for everyone mm-hmm. so they can thrive in their role mm-hmm. And so I think with that weight, mm. knowing that that's the weight of by choice that mm-hmm. that we have at work,
3: mm-hmm.
2: knowing that you then would have the weight of another human that you mm. have to, it, it's just like I I feel mm. like I would I would be squashed. I know, and like I, I, I feel like these two yeah. kettlebells on me, and I'm on the floor like mud yeah. in like a puddle of mud.
0: Yeah, and it's heavy. But I think even just you saying that you have to hold for Harvey, it's like you just don't even. I really don't know how to explain it, but it's like he's an extra limb of mine. Like mm. I don't see it him as an com- inconvenience or whatever in the slightest because it's like I don't know how to explain it. I and, really can't put Lotus, words to it. If you're already doing
3: it for your work situation, mm. that means you do have the tools to do it for your home life as well.
0: Do you know what I mean? Like you've, you're you already doing it, mm. therefore you'll be able to do it. You will find ways to still have routine. It just won't look like your routine now. And that's the thing is mm. like my – I. I was like I had so much time i was I was probably extremely selfish, but in in the best way that I could like prioritize myself so much before having Harvey, and that was my mm. way of like making sure that I was showing up for me so that I could show up for work. My way of showing up for me and like my my me time that routine is so different to what it used to be. It's still somewhat of a routine. It's just a bit more flexible, but I still have my things that I know I need to get done every week or I need to do for myself each week. Mm. It just doesn't look the exact same and I've accepted that and I think that's when you find that place, it's okay because mm. people talk about like fearing that they're going to lose themselves when they become a parent and there's maybe elements of your life that you lose but there's also so much that you gain and I just think that you, when you can get to the point because it does take st- some time for some people, but when, it, when you do get to the point where you can really love this new side of it or whatever, you find a new routine mm. and then that's what you stick to if that makes sense
2: interesting i'm not afraid of losing myself i'm afraid that i'm not going to be able to cope and i'm going to have a mental
0: breakdown (laughs) oh you'll have many mental breakdowns (laughs) i I have one weekly i think i think it's one
2: of those things though you just yeah i know like a mental b is like a weekly (laughs) occasion now but i think it's just one of those things like even i was thinking a while ago my car got stolen Mm. and i truly it's interesting i think that we're all a lot more resilient than we think yeah. because I reckon three years ago it would have rattled the shit out of me and it rattled me for safety. Like we changed because yeah, I was scared that the person the, no could be. have yeah. had my keys and I was like, it has a house key and it Change the locks. Mm-hmm. But after that, I was like, oh, it's fine. It's like a very easy solution. Mm-hmm. Call the police, change the lock, do the in- how, do the yeah. insurance. It's it's a material item. Mm. But I reckon three years ago that would have rattled yeah. the shit out of me. And I think we are a lot more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. But anyway, I need to talk to someone about this because I'm fucking
3: petrified. You can join my therapy sessions, (laughs) (laughs) laws Group. We'll just do it as a group.
2: So today we are interviewing Ryan Shelton, Mm. who you may know, you would know if you listen to The Imperfects, which is a podcast that we recommend highly, probably once a month at least. Yes. A fantastic podcast. Ryan is a comedian, podcast host, obviously actor, TV personality, radio presenter. You may have seen him on Rove mm-hmm. Live Way back when.
0: Yes, exactly. Yes. He's really funny he's and so creative. He's
2: also, really open with what he shares. Super rare as a comedian. It, exactly right, and also I think too is it's something that I love so much about the Imperfects podcast. There is a lot of toxic masculinity in a, a lot of the media, mm-hmm. and so to see three men sit down and open up their hearts is really not it's really interesting because i say that and it's like well that's something that women do all the time so it's not like we should you know have a different bar but it is it is really nice nice to see and they do incredible work and so today what we really wanted to speak about was the decision on whether or not to have kids because that's something that ryan Mm. has been really open about and it's something that we speak about all the time So another thing we wanted to chat to you about was an episode you did recently around your thoughts on having kids. Mm. And I think it's something that, I mean, we've, we've spoken a lot about it, but it's also at the same time, this taboo topic that if you aren't, sh- it's kind of like, it's uh, coming back to, to societal norms. Yeah. It's like, this, this is a successful life. You go to school, you get your ATAR, you get your good ATAR, <laughs> yeah, you get yeah. into university, you you get into the good course, you get a job, you get married, you a Own dog. a house, yeah. You have a dog, you have a child. Yeah, it's like the recipe almost to life. Yeah, it's like here's how you have a successful life. And if one you cup of
0: this, totally. And if you don't have that, you need to have your like strong reasons why. Yes, you know, like you mm-hmm. can't be in between. Mm-hmm. Well, almost with apparently. kids, it's like when when someone and I've had to think about this mm. to myself mm-hmm. a lot. When someone
2: says they don't want to have kids, it's automatically you go, well, why? what what happened? Mm. what and it's like mm. if someone says i want to have kids you don't say well why? why do you want to have these <laughs> little no. things running around you, you know? Yeah. We wanted to chat to you about it cuz i think yeah. what you said was so great and it's a conversation we need to have more of.
4: Yeah, it's just something like, you know, my partner and i we've been together for like 7 years and and it's it's clearly it's the big question that kind of keeps bubbling around and it's a, it's a, it's sort of a we don't know if we can even have kids Mm -hmm. like we don't we don't even haven't even got to that point yet so but as far as like making a choice it seems like just this really huge decision that because I'm not I'm not someone who's like grown up thinking can't wait to be a dad Mm -hmm. like I've just it just never comes into my mind like I just don't I don't see myself in that life it just doesn't you know, when I visualize my future, I, doesn't, I don't see a kid. Mm. Whereas like I have friends who are like, can't wait to be a dad. Mm. Like Hugh and Josh. It's like, they're just like, it was no question. It was like, yeah, of course. Of course I have children. But for me, I've just always been like, I don't know. Uh, it seems like a pretty big life change. <laughs> it is. <laughs> to just introduce a, another person mm. that relies upon you. And yeah, so now we're getting to this point where we're like, okay, well, getting close to D-Day, you know, you've got to choose. You've got to make a choice. And either way, either choice is a risk, like mm-hmm. it feels like. Like I can only go off anecdotal evidence, which is people saying, it's the best thing you'll ever do. Oh, my God. And I believe <laughs> these people. Like why would they lie? It makes sense. Like I'm sure it's beautiful. I do love kids. Most kids. Um, <laughs> and, and, some are annoying. Some are, yeah. But like that's – and and then and then people say like, yeah, but – don't base it off that because it's only once you have your own kids, then mm. that's true love. And the so the thing that kind of like trips me up when I think about not having kids is like, okay, well, you're giving up on experiencing what people describe as the greatest thing you'll ever do. But I'm like, how can it be? Uh, how can I know though for sure? Mm. I'm someone who like, I really need to know for sure that it'll be the best thing I'll ever mm. do. because. All I can judge it on right now is all the things that I currently love that I'll have to give up. Yeah. Or cut down on or
2: Or what know. you have to do, like go to the swimming pool on
4: yeah, sit, stand Saturday at the morning park. at nine. Yeah.
2: Stand at the So I often walk past the park and see a kid's party at nine AM on a Sunday. And I think that is truly my worst nightmare. Mm. Having to wake up to go and stand in a park when it's raining.
4: Yeah.
0: And watch kids like I and I love I I do love kids right I really love them but there's things like that yeah but that that is one of those examples that until you're in it I don't think you can I don't want to go to bounce but once you see your kids joy yeah in how it fulfills them then you can be bothered that's the thing and there's days when you can't be bothered going to the park or you'll sit on your phone while they're at the park like don't get me wrong Mm -hmm. there is times when you genuinely still have that mindset no no doubt about it. But that's the thing, I think, as you said before, it's so I know for sure I didn't know how good aspects of it until I was actually in it, right? Mm. So it is that really tough decision. However, it doesn't, like, even if you don't know that, it do, it's not for everyone. And I think the idea of you speaking so openly about this and, like, releasing a bit of that taboo is what's so important. It's not something that you should just willy-nilly get into. Mm-hmm. Parenting is a huge thing. Bringing another child into the world is a huge thing. It should... You should have important conversations like this where you genuinely really think about it because I think there would be a lot of people who just kind of get into it because they think Mm. that's the next step in life. Yeah. And it makes them super unhappy.
4: Yeah. I'm fairly sure that I'm in the camp of like, I don't think it's for me. But then there's the niggling thought in the back of my mind going like, yeah, but what if it is? And Mm. you don't know it until you actually experience it. Because I also know people who, like men mainly, who didn't want Mm. kids and then now they do have them. They love it, mm. of course, because they love their children. So, currently, I'm like right in the thick of it. So yeah. it's like so I'm still going through mm. trying to figure out what to do. And and then some people have given like really amazing advice, and some people have said like you'll probably never know for sure. Like which is shit advice. Which is yeah, <laughs> but, but it's, it's true. <laughs> it's kind of comforting in a way that it's like oh yeah, that's true. Like it may be one of those few things. You just don't know. You just don't ever know what yeah. was the right thing to do. But then those same people do also say, you're never going to regret it. If you have a kid, you're not going to regret it.
1: Mm.
4: Like I can't, I mean, I'm, th- maybe there are people who do, but I certainly haven't come across people who regret it. So yeah, I'm currently going through this.
1: And
2: I think, I think it, I mean, it's something we've spoken a lot about, but I think for me, it's kind of working through that. I, I, one thing I know for certain is that if I, because it's coming back to kind of what we spoke about this whole podcast. For me, work is a lot of my identity. Mm. And so I know 100% that if the time comes and mm. I know that I chose work over mm. having, you know, and it affects down the track, I yep. think I will have so much resentment in my heart mm. that I don't know how I would work through that. Yeah. And so it's kind of just trying to navigate. But I think it that's is.
0: because you can see yourself as a mom. Yes, but that's right. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. right.
2: But yeah, it's, it is it is very hard and I think especially for a, a lot of our listeners, kind of in there, predominantly between 20 and 30 mm. um, and predominantly women, it is a time when you go from, oh my God, watch out, like you better use 85 things of protection because you get so worried about having kids yeah. to then all of us, it's almost like there's like a minute in between that and, oh, I really have to start thinking right now because, yeah. you know, once I'm part, they, they classify over 35 as a geriatric pregnancy. Which is crazy Insane. in terms of, you know, our biological clocks. Mm. And I do feel like there it's not there's not this like period that you think there will be where you have all this time. Yeah. It's like you blink and it's like, oh shit, this is this is a totally different side now. of this
4: yeah. thing. Yeah.
2: And now for today's conversation. We had the wonderful Gina Rushton on the podcast. So, Gina is an editor, reporter, and she is the author of her first book, The Most Important Job in the World. When I, and the reason I say her first book, I hope it isn't just her only book. I hope then there's like second and third because the way that Gina writes is is really incredible Uh, I am highly highly recommending this book I'm getting through it at the moment we speak about it in the this podcast Um, and yeah it was such a good chat
0: oh yeah and she's just I feel like she is so relatable in the way that you know when she talks about her own kind of navigating that decision of like whether or not you want to become a parent I I love the way she speaks about it so I think you guys are going to love this chat I really hope you do And then it comes back to as well, are we ever ready? Because I think when we
2: think about, you know, finances and then Mm. where we're at in our careers and where we're at in our relationship. Mm. And when I speak to people about this, it's funny. um, In all the conversations I've had about, you know, the right time, which there is no, like, unless the only thing I can find on the internet is my prime fertility age, (laughs) which I think is (laughs) 30.5. I think that's (laughs) that's something, (laughs) something like that. But apart from that, I speak to people and they're like, oh, I had kids when I was 37 and I fell pregnant really quick and it was so easy and, like, I'm so happy I waited. And then I speak to people that waited to 37 and they're like, I wish I did this earlier. Mm. And then I speak to people that had kids and they were younger and they're like, it really affected my life and I wish I waited. Mm. And then other people say, best thing we did having it earlier. (laughs) And then people will say, you will know when the right time is. And then other people will say... There's no right time. (laughs) And because I'm a control freak, I'm like, no, 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 I need to find this. Yes. Yes. I mean,
0: I I feel like someone, I feel, I don't know, I think because you you at least know that in your future you want a kid, Mm, right? You're kind of one more step ahead of someone who's still working that out. One step ahead of me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And that's okay. But I feel like once you get there... You will start to feel different when you're ready. Mm. I will.: say So that. you're telling me that the Internet is wrong. <laughs> yeah. I do know when I'm going to. No, be ready. you don't know like 100 <laughs> percent, but I feel like there's a different feeling, there's a different feeling.:
5: But I do. It is. I do think that thing though, of being like not a control. Not a control thing because, because you know, obviously I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to write 80,000 words and like, I will fix this and solve this like unsolvable question. So I like fully relate to it. But I think that like everything that came up in the book was, I do think there's a little bit of a like, I don't know if it's about control, but like that millennial thing of like, there is a perfect decision. And like, if you weigh up your pros and cons and like, there's good. And I just think that's kind of like so many of the the things in the book, like a lot of them are just things that you kind of have to sit with and may never be completely resolved, whether it is, um, you know, you're never going to be, you know, I'm in a relationship with a man, like there are always going to be things to negotiate in terms of caring and communication and emotional labor. Like the chapter that's all about people being anxious about what they might pass on and how their own childhoods have like shaped how they're going to parent and stuff. Like you're never going to be fully therapized and like, (laughs) you know, Completely free of your your past and completely non anxious about the future. Like, you know, we're not perfect people who make perfect decisions. And I think that that watching other people in their lives make the decision to not or ha- to not to you know to not have kids and live with some of the regret of that, and or to have kids and live with some of the sacrifices of that, like that was really interesting for me for being like, ah, oh, I could just not be completely neurotic.
2: <laughs> the other thing we would love your advice on. <laughs> is having the conversation with your partner Mm. about kids because I think it is a a very, very important conversation and it's also an important conversation, I think, when I speak to some of my friends and people that I know about or more so they've said to me, I feel really sad because this is how it's kind of... It's almost... And they've been female and they're in heterosexual Mm. relationships and their partner has said, we're going to have a kid next year and you're going to stop work mm. and i'm taking this promotion and i'm going to travel heaps mm. and it's kind of like hang on mm-hmm. there's this obviously i know there's this the really hard thing with with the you know the pay gap that still exists is that often and also women kind of subconsciously think that they need to not take promotions so then – because they're going to have kids mm. and then it means that when, they, when it comes to the decision of who earns more money, it's more likely to be the man. Yeah. Therefore, the woman will sacrifice if they are not both going to keep working because obviously childcare is expensive and there's, there's all of these factors. Mm. How do you, I suppose – advise or recommend having that conversation and keeping it open that it's not I just think we need to get out of this place where it's just assumed that Mm. the woman in a heterosexual heterosexual relationship will stop work Mm. and they will have a child when their partner is ready Mm. and when they think you know they want a family and it's not both of their decision
5: yeah absolutely and like I guess tied in with that as well is that there's this kind of I mean, like I, I think there's an <clears throat> there's another conversation that's quite similar that happens where um, like a lot of women I've talked spoken to have said like, well, I'm thinking about this because of my fertility. But because my partner doesn't have to think so much about his fertility, he's not thinking about it. And so we can't even have the conversation yet, even though I'm like, do I need to freeze my eggs? Do I need to like all of these things? It's a really hard one. I mean, one thing that I think is really useful is having conversations that almost come before those conversations about like, there's a chapter in the book about emotional labor. And one of the reasons why I didn't do the chapter just about domestic labor, like I could have easily been like, well, let's talk about the division of unpaid labor and how much more women do. And and I, and do a whole chapter on that. But I talked about emotional labor because I actually think that that's almost the conversation that comes for women in their early twenties, at least that comes before, like before you're being like, Oh, he doesn't sack the dishwasher. You're kind of being like, Oh, he, isn't emotionally expressive and he doesn't care. Like there's an asymmetry and care and communication and like all those other things that come first. And I think that almost there's like a million little conversations that almost need to come before that big one about like who is taking, who is being the main child carer, and they, all of those tiny conversations about just care and equality within the relationship almost come before that. Like, I think if you've reached that point where, there's an, there, that assumption's already there, then there, <clears throat> there have been a lot of missed opportunities along the way to discuss, like, why should women be responsible for certain things, whether that is the bulk of the child rearing, whether that is being the calendar, being the alarm clock, starting the hard conversations, being the caring one, being the one responsible for emotional re- regulation in the relationship. So... Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm kind of answering it by being like, have the conversation before you have the conversation. But, <laughs> but I mean, I think, like, the, the data kind of speaks for itself. Like, there are a few men who've read the book and been like, oh, it's just really confronting for me to see the data actually on unpaid labour and what, how, for how long it, it interrupts a woman's career trajectory. Like, because we think about it as just maternity leave, but we know all the data from there shows, like, then it's, you're in part-time work, then it's, you get a smaller superannuation, then it's, and you're doing like the bulk of the care plus, full, plus part-time work, plus domestic labor. Like, I think, I don't know, sometimes data can be very useful in those kinds of conversations.
0: <laughs> well, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. If you would like to get involved with the kick Pod or Kickbump Pod, you can by going to our Instagram at Kickpod and sending us a voice note or writing in a DNM. And if you would like to join bit of a virtual mothers group we like to call it our kick bump Facebook community is for you there is so much in there encouragements of finding your journey again after having a baby or questions during pregnancy it's a virtual mothers group of love and support and you are so welcome so you can find us there if you would like to learn more about kick you can go to our website kickapp.com or you can find us on the Apple store and Google Play store where we have a seven day free trial thank you for listening and we'll be back in your ears very soon. Bye.